Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Chapter 22, book two in Epictetus' Discourses contains a really fascinating discussion of friendship or philia. And friendship doesn't just mean being friends with a person, it can also extend to the kind of, of good feeling that we have towards those who are, say, our relatives. It can encompass quite a lot. And Epictetus says something that seems quite paradoxical which is that only the wise person can really be a friend. Now, he's got some reasons why he is saying this. I should point out, too, that the word that's used for wise there is phronimos, not the sophos, not the sage, but the person who has practical wisdom, which you know would include the sage, but who has phronesis, who, who can think things through. So perhaps it's not saying that you have to be an absolute stoic sage, totally developed, but perhaps you have to, have, you have to cross a certain threshold of, of practical wisdom. Now, why is it that only the wise person can love or feel friendship? The word philane could mean either to love or to show friendship. It's, it's not as if, you know, sometimes people want to say, well, there's all these different kinds of love. There's agape, there's eros, there's philia. Epictetus doesn't make that sort of distinction. Well, many of the Greek authors actually don't. So you should see this as, as sort of a wide range of loving. Why is it that only the wise person can really do this? Well, for Epictetus, it has to do with the fact that only the wise person really understands what they're getting into. And only the wise person is able to have the proper orientation. He says, whatever a man is interested in, he naturally loves. That makes sense. Do men take an interest in things evil? Not at all. Well, do they take an interest in things which are in no respect concern them? No, not in these either. It remains, therefore, that men take an interest in good things only. And if they take an interest in them, then they love them. So this is this is not meant to be a knockdown, drag-out argument, but it's supposed to illuminate what's going on. We love the things that we get to know. We take an interest in them because we think that they're good, right? So when we think something is good, we invest some of our our attention, some of our care, some of our activity. We get to know a person, we start to like them, and after a while we feel like we're friends. We begin to care for them. So he says, whoever then has knowledge of good things would know how to love them too. But when a man is unable to distinguish things good from things evil, and what is neither good nor evil from both the others, how could he take the next step and have the power to love? Accordingly, the power to love belongs to the wise man and to him alone. So what Epictetus is saying is the wise person can distinguish good and bad rightly, so they know what to love and they know how to love. The other people are going to be rather mixed up about that. They may think that they love and they may appear to be loving, but they're not really going to be so. Other people are mixed up about the good and the bad. And they're mixed up in a variety of ways. It's not just one simple way. First off, they're not really sure which things are genuinely good and which things are genuinely bad. So let's take some examples. 
You know, you get involved as a kid with a lot of schoolmates. Probably you're in contact with a lot of them now if you're my age through Facebook, right? Or something else. Perhaps if you're, you have a professional type through LinkedIn, your alumni networks, right? And, you know, you feel a certain commonality with them because you've gone through certain experiences together. There may be some people you, you didn't really like at the time, but now, you know, things have progressed and gotten different and they've changed and you've changed and, and you feel a friendly attitude towards them. You take an interest in their life. Epictetus thinks that that's only going to go so far because insofar as you're valuing something other than, say, their character, who they really are, you're not really friends with them. You know, for example, if you like somebody not because of their great capacities and skills that you think are really wonderful, but because they tend to open doors for you, they invite you to the right parties, they connect you up with people, that's more of an instrumental relationship. That's not really a friendship. You may feel nice towards them, you may feel a sense of affection, but is that something that's really reliable? Epictetus would say, look, all these external things that often are what relationships consist in, those are not a satisfactory basis for, for a lasting relationship, a lasting relationship in terms of affection. Similarly, if you're told, well, you have to love people because they're your family, well, there's something to that, but that by itself is not going to be enough to allow you to, to, to maintain that sense of affection towards them. Quite often, people are involved with other people and want to have a continuing relationship and so behave in certain ways towards them, in part because they're afraid of what might happen should they allow the relationship to dissolve. You know, security, not being alone, feeling like you're alive. All these are the sorts of things that people talk about. And Epictetus would say these are not reliable bases in part because these people are mixed up about what's good and what's bad. They think that external things are good and they pursue their relationship on that basis. There's another way in which people are mixed up too. Not only do they think that external things are you know, where the good and the bad lie, they don't remain constant about that. He's got some great discussions of this in this, this section. He says, you're frequently bewildered and disturbed by your external impressions and overcome by their persuasive character. At one moment, you consider these things good, and then you consider them, though the same, evil. And later on, is neither good or evil. And in a word, you're subject to pain, fear, envy, turmoil, and change. In loving, are you not changeable? A little bit later, he says, you don't consider the same persons at one moment good and at another moment bad. Do you not at one moment feel friendly towards them, at another unfriendly, and at one moment praise them, while at another moment you criticize them? And we think about our own experience. This is something that we frequently go through. We are not as constant as we would like to think that we are. This is why it's possible to have, you know, say a frenemy, somebody who you're really a rival with, but you pretend to be a friend with, you know. These are all examples of being mixed up about what's good and what's bad. And this is the condition of most people, according to Epictetus. So something like temporary friendship is indeed possible. But here's the key thing, it's temporary, right? The sage, the wise person, or even the phronimos, the person who's got it together, they're not going to be involved in these just temporary friendships because they're looking for something more lasting, but other people will be. Now, how do they last? Well, they last so long as nothing else comes between them. So here's the two key questions we want to ask. Why does something else come between them? 
And why does that affect the person's affections? Well, let's look at the examples that Epictetus gives, which I think still apply quite often in our own time. He says, do you never see dogs fawning on one another and playing with one another so that you say nothing could be more friendly? But see what their friendship amounts to. Throw a piece of meat between them and you'll soon find out. Throw likewise between yourself and your son a small piece of land and you will find out how much your son wants to bury you. The sooner the better and how earnestly you pray for your son's death. This is some pretty grim stuff. But Epictetus is being very realistic here about the prospects for a lasting relationship of affection if we are going to allow things to easily come between us. He says, throw between you a pretty wench and the old man as well as the young man falls in love with her or again a bit of glory. And if you have to risk your life, you'll say what the father of Edmatus did, thou joyous seeing daylight dost suppose thy father joys not too. Do you imagine that he did not love his own child when it was small, and he was not in agony when it had the fever, and he did not say over and over again, if only I had the fever instead? And then, when the test comes upon him, just see what words he utters. So, you know, we can go on. He says, it's a general rule, be not deceived, that every living being is to nothing so devoted as to its own interest. This is part of our nature but it's not the whole of our nature. And to behave in that way is not actually to have our faculty of choice in accordance with nature. Epictetus wants to keep reminding us. So he says, for most people, whatever appears to stand in the way of this interest, be it a brother or father or child or loved one or lover, the being hates, accuses, and curses it. He has an example here even of the gods. He says, when we think that the gods stand in the way of our attainment of what we want, we revile even them, cast their statues to the ground and burn their temples, as Alexander ordered the temples of Asclepius to be burned when his loved one died. If a man puts together in one scale his interest and righteousness and what is honorable in country and parents and friends, they're all safe. But if he puts his interest on one side of the scale and all these other things on the other, the interest will pull it down and these other things will go out the window. So this is a big problem. If we allow ourselves to be blinded, essentially, by our self-interest, which tends to be of this sort that's mixed up about good and bad and thinks that, say, obtaining security at the expense of other people is a good or that getting some sort of embarrassment that we might feel and pushing it off on somebody else is a good thing for us, we are probably going to run into a lot of problems. And we're going to also set up situations where other people who otherwise could love us, who could be friends with us, are going to say, I hate that guy. He is terrible. So what is the upshot of this? What is the other possibility? Epictetus gives us some interesting advice. He says, if we want to see whether people can really be friends, we want to look to their pro-racist, to their faculty of choice. Don't look to other forms of similarity, whether they grew up together in the same town, whether they share a common interest and are part of a club together whether they belong to the same nation, whether they're members of the same corporate organization, whether they're both college professors, whether they are professor to student or student to professor. Epictetus thinks that people will sell each other out in favor of their own interests for external goods if they haven't gotten their faculty of choice 
lined up right. If they have, then they are actually the Fronimos. If you have two people like that, they are going to like each other because they recognize the good in each other. Does this mean that the Fronimos is unable to like or feel affection towards or be friends with anybody who is not a Fronimos? Uh, Epictetus seems to be steering that way, but it doesn't necessarily have to go that way because it's possible to recognize the goodness even in people who keep on screwing things up and say, well, they are still my child, they are still my father, they are still my friend, I would like things to be different uh, than that. Epictetus probably would not say that you keep turning the other cheek proverbially forever though. He would probably counsel that the people who are, as we say, toxic personalities, you need to get them out of your life. Don't try to be friends with them. The amount of constancy and intensity of affection is probably going to be a matter that is measured in part by how well together that person has their proiresis, their faculty of choice, their governing principle in their, their life. So very interesting discussion here about what would really be required for genuine lasting friendship, which the Stoics see as a good thing. It sounds rather pessimistic, but Epictetus would say that he's actually being very realistic. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.